Okay, so to recap, Genesis 1, God created the world. And he did it in six days. So day one, he created day and night. Day two, he created heaven. Day three, the earth and the plants. Day four, the sun, moon, and stars. And day five, all the creatures in the water plus the birds. And day six, animals and Adam. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Because, why? He saw that everything was good, and he was pleased. And if you remember the last time I was up here, um, I talked about how my profession in the work world is an engineer. So I'm encountering lots of order and procedures and uh, even regulations. And there's a purpose for all of those things. And God had a purpose and still has a purpose for everything that happens. And the way he's created the earth, the way he's created us, it's all very purposeful. And one of the points that strikes me about him and his word is he always brings concepts to us in a very clear, simple manner. And I think the book of Genesis um, in the beginning chapters is very clear and very simple. And if we allow our minds to just be open to him and to what he's saying to us throughout all the books, no matter how difficult they are, there's always something in God's word that will come to us and that he'll speak to us. And the beauty of him and the way he communicates with us through his spirit is it's unique to all of us. Each one of us, he wants to give a certain revelation of himself. And I just pray that each one of us would continue to want to hear from him and draw nearer to him and to make time for him. And I think um, as we get into Genesis 2 tonight, um, we'll see his love for us for people, um, we'll see that he created us to be in fellowship with him, and he created us to be dependent on him, and it's just a perfect plan that he has. So let's um, start out, we can start out in Genesis chapter 2, so if you'd turn there please. Okay, so we'll start out in Genesis chapter 2. Thus, the, heaven, the heavens and earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work 
which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So I want to stop there a minute. Something that, that grabs me here is that he formed man from the dust of the earth. And I think we've seen where there are references made to dirt and clay in the Bible. So um, if you would go with me to Isaiah 64. Which is to the right and near the middle of your Bible. We'll start with verse 1. So what I see here is like a cry, even though the subtitle in your Bibles probably says it's a prayer for help. When we need help, we can pray, we can ask, and we can cry out to the Lord, right? Um, so I think in here you'll see uh, a picture of what God can do, um, just as he did uh, here in chapter 2 of Genesis with Adam. So Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as the fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. And that's important. I think if we all admit to ourselves we're not perfect and the Lord doesn't need us to be perfect. He isn't calling us to adhere to a set of rituals or standards. He wants us to understand that he created us each uniquely and specifically and very special to him, but with a need which is the need to be saved and the need to recognize what Jesus has done for us. And you notice tonight we'll have communion and we'll celebrate that, the acceptance and the recognition that we are imperfect and we need him, we need Jesus, and he's the way. So verse 6 of Isaiah 64. 
but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. And this is actually um, referencing Israel and how they drifted away from the Lord. But then you can see the tone changes here, and they realize their need. But now, O Lord, and this is verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and all we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. So, what grabbed me about this is that we have the capability to call out to God to recognize that we need him and that he has fashioned us. This is the correlation to Genesis. So as a potter is with clay, our Lord has fashioned us uniquely and specifically. And there's another reference to this too. If you could turn uh, nearby to Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah chapter 18. That's just one book over from Isaiah. So we'll start at verse 1, Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter, to make then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And then continuing on, if, I'm sorry, and the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. And so the, the theme here, again, is, to me, is primarily the potter and the clay. And just because there, there has been a process um, that has started in us, it doesn't mean that it's finished. And 
that's how the Lord works with us. He continues to work on us uh, as a potter does. If he sees blemishes, he wants to work them out. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us. He wants to work out uh, anything that keeps us from having fellowship with him. And he wants us to rely on him. And he wants us to depend on him. And he wants us to be submitted to him to allow him to work his good in and through us. And that's what I got out of that. <laughs> so let's go back to Genesis 2, verse 8. So this is when God plants the garden. So Genesis 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon, and it is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So again, the point here is God is sensitive to his creation, and he's sensitive um, to Adam being alone. He doesn't want Adam to be by himself. Just like he doesn't want us to be uh, Lone Ranger Christians, as you've probably heard the statement. He doesn't want us to be special agents. Um, he brings us into fellowship in church like this so that we can encourage one another and be together with one another to um, grow our faith and develop our faith and to be sensitive to one another and to be able to pray. And Acts 2.42 is a reference I'll, co I'll come back to here in a few minutes, which talks about that, fellowship and breaking bread and praying. So let's pick up um, verse 19. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. 
but for Adam there was not found a, hemp, a helper comparable to him. What amazes me is Adam was given huge responsibility right off the bat to come up with names for all the creatures. Um, and yet, something tells me he wasn't apprehensive, he wasn't fearful, he already had a relationship with God, and just my belief is that it was a very calm, loving, gracious relationship, totally immersed, like, right away. And again, it's just like how I see God as a loving God. So, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So again, um, the theme that kind of strikes me here is like unending fellowship, just pure unity together. And that's exactly how God has defined his relationship with us. And he sets out the framework for us to have a relationship with each other like that. And you don't need to turn there, but I'll make reference here to um, Ecclesiastes 4, where it says... Though one may be overpowered by another, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And again, that's a picture of um, Jesus in the midst of Adam and Eve, as well as married couples, um, even family members. Um, it's just like when you think of it, if we put the Lord first and we put him in the middle of everything, He's for us, not against us. So regardless of what the situation we're in currently is, we can rest assured he will change it. It'll be in his time, but he will change it. And I think this is an encouragement for us to continue to focus on him and to put him in the center of our prayer life, in our daily walk, in every aspect of life. Because... He's our refuge and our strength. The Bible also tells us that. So if you get the picture here, I mean, Adam and Eve don't have every, any, I'm sorry, they don't have any worry. God is providing everything to them that they need. Um, they're not even really self-aware, right? That comes later. We'll see that. They have like this focus on just God and their walk and their relationship there. And as we'll see, as we read through the book of Genesis, God already knew that they would fall. Um, we'll see that in the coming chapters. But he already had a plan. And 
let's see, I think in, we were in Jeremiah. You don't need to go there, but I'll read it to you. So Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, which is plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Again, this is about Israel, but I see a parallel here with Adam and Eve. Um, they make choices. They break fellowship with the Lord. He knew it all along, yet he has a perfect plan. He has a good plan. He doesn't wish us any ill will, and he, he's always looking to be our advocate, and he's always asking us to just turn to him. So we can see what separation and disobedience does in the next chapter which is chapter 3. So if you'd follow along with me in Genesis chapter 3. Okay. So Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So you can see right here that this is the first example of broken fellowship with God. Um, Adam and Eve disobeyed, and the consequences to that were broken fellowship. But... God has a plan. Um, so if you, let's see. How about we turn to John 10? So while you're turning there, I'll set the stage. So Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's trying to encourage them that um, their faith is important, that the enemy is always out looking for ways to distract us and to get us get our eyes off of Jesus 
and off of the goodness of the Lord. And that it's important for us to continue to remain as focused as we can. Granted, there will be distractions during everyday life, work, family. But when we have time, even, you know, eyes open, we can pray and we can ask the Lord to please show us the way, give us direction, settle our hearts um, to just be with us. And he will be with us. So let's look at um, John chapter 10, verse 7. And this chapter is subtitled, the Jesus the Good Shepherd. So, in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd." Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my sheep, or I'm sorry, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So, in these passages, what sticks out to me is he clearly points out what the enemy's mission is. The enemy's mission is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that is what he's doing every single day, every minute. That's what he wants to do to us. And not only us believers, but people that don't believe too. Yet, God in his grace and his love has a great plan. And He's seeking for us to look to him, to follow him, just like the example he gives here of sheep. Sheep will go to their shepherd. They do know his voice. They know his calls. Um, shepherds have uh, specific calls for their flock. And when there are groups of shepherds, each one has their own call so that their own sheep don't go to the wrong <laughs> shepherd. Um, and I think that's the one of the um, concepts that sticks out to me here. I, I believe our Lord is speaking every minute, and he speaks to all of us. It's up to us to be willing to take the time to meditate on his word, continue to ask him to show us more clearly what he wants for us, and to be willing to then 
um, apply uh, not only the concepts that we learn in his word, but also um, the, the information that he gives us and, and to apply that as we're living. Um, he wants nothing more than to keep loving us and to be with us and to be, to give, how do I say this, to give us the abilities to shine for him um, and to let his spirit work in and through us. Let's go back to Genesis 3. And we left off at verse 8. So Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And as we just found out, it's because they suddenly became self-aware. Their fellowship with God was broken. And they deliberately covered themselves up knowing that they had changed. So in verse 9, the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And I'm, it's unfortunate that he answered it that way, uh, because in the way he answered it, he's still admitting guilt. I mean, he disobeyed, right? Eve disobeyed, Adam disobeyed, they both did. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So if we stop here for a minute, this is the provision of God it's kind of like a, a picture of what Jesus does for us 
Jesus' shed blood covers us, covers our sins. And God had the plan for Jesus to come. It just wasn't the time. So for Adam and Eve, he actually sacrificed an animal or animals and provided clothes for them. Because until Jesus came and actually shed his own blood, this was the way that God could cover them and um, look upon them um, without seeing the sin that they had committed. So in verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. And I need to stop there, because uh, in most translations, that us is capitalized. And there you have a reference to God, Jesus, and the Spirit. So Father, Spirit, Son. Um, nothing was made without Jesus present. And it just shows you that they had already existed and they had established a relationship with themselves. And I just feel like we, we have all the information we need right here in the first few chapters of Genesis to begin to get our minds and our hearts wrapped around the divinity of God. So, okay, so, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand, put out his hand, and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And again, like we read earlier, or I read to you, Jeremiah 29, 11, God's plans are good for us. So he recognized now, and he already knew anyway, that both Adam and Eve would need clear direction and they would need um, guidance, but... Uh, for the time being, um, he, in his love, decided to guard uh, the garden from them, lest they'd be tempted to go back. So, as we've read in other passages of God's word, if we are tempted, the Lord always gives us an exit. He always has an exit strategy, and he's always at the center of that exit strategy. And even though he knew that Adam and Eve were going to do this, he was still offering himself as protection to Adam and Eve. But for the moment, when they took of the fruit, they didn't look to him. And so that's an encouragement to me that I need to keep looking to the Lord and just ask him to give me the guidance and the wisdom I need and that applies to all of us, too. I think in every situation, we just um, 
we can be so distracted and I just know in my heart that the Lord is asking us to just ask him for help for any reason and he'll come to us and help us. So this picture right here is a consequence of disobedience. Um, you know, the Lord uh, didn't, want separation but again he knew it was going to happen so again his plan in the future was to bring Jesus so that that uh, the transgressions and the sins could be covered and washed away um, another example of um, disobedience and kind of like um, exhortation of how we should um, live and how we should ask for the Lord's guidance is in Samuel. Um, if you want to turn there with me, we can go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll go down a ways. We'll go First Samuel 15, verse 22. If you hit Judges, Samuel is the next after Ruth. So, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 says, So Samuel said, and this is Samuel talking to Saul after he um, fought against the Amalekites, and the stage was set. Um, he was given specific instructions by God to wipe them out. And let's read, and we'll see what happens. So verse 22, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. In verse 24, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. So, even though Saul here was no longer favored after this. The takeaway from this can be, you know, continue to listen to the Lord's still small voice in our hearts and recognize that he gives us answers to our questions and instructions on how to live. It's in his time, though. I know I get impatient a lot, and I want God to answer me <laughs> right away. 
Um, but he knows when to give answers, what answers to give, and why. And it's a challenge, but there's a, a quote from Dr. Stanley. Many of you probably know it is, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. It seems simple. It sounds simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> but still, that's what the Lord requires of us. And what I saw here in Saul was a lot like what happened to Adam and Eve. In a way, they were rebellious. They were disobedient. They had perfect fellowship with God. They didn't need anything, but one distraction, one moment of thoughts that were off of the Lord led them down that path. And yet the Lord is always with us and always wants us to look to him. And so there are a couple other examples of that. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read them to you. Micah 6, 8 is, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that sounds simple too. And it's a very clear direction, but, you know, without the Lord and without asking and continuing to pray and, and being open to hearing his voice, it, this is, that isn't easy to do. But I referred to Acts 2.42 earlier, and that is one of the things that we can look to to encourage us. Um, it says, and this is um, when the disciples were together after Jesus was um, crucified. So Acts 2.42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as everyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So that just kind of speaks to me here tonight. We're gathered here. Um, it was decided to have communion tonight, which is a representation of what our Lord's goodness and his love and his grace and his mercy are all about and how they apply to us. And he asked us to remember him and to do this and to, to, to not um, think of it as the actual crucifixion and resurrection, but to just remember him, everything he has done, everything he is doing, and everything he will do. So, um, it just encourages me that he wants us to come to his table with hearts of thanksgiving, like this said in Acts 2.42, with simplicity of heart. God doesn't want us to come to him with a whole bunch of complications or buts, and I notice I said that a lot tonight, but <laughs> there we go again. 
he, he's always listening, and he never lets us go. So I guess if I can encourage you with one thing, it's just continue to ponder the vastness and the just the wonder of what God's plans are. Every individual that's born on this earth, he has ordained. And every individual that wasn't born whether stillborn or aborted, he has plans for them, and they're with him now. And he just, to me, he just blows my mind <laughs> uh, that he would look upon us as sinners and yet have a plan, like, perfectly laid out for us, have an exit strategy anytime we need it, to call upon him, to ask him for strength and wisdom, and to just give us the means to to give him thanks and to honor him and praise him. So um, if Gina could come up, we'll uh, worship him. And if during the song, if you want to partake, um, please just come up and grab the elements. And after Gina's finished with the song, we'll... We'll partake together. Okay, so on the night which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread. Likewise, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So let's partake of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us these elements, Lord, as tokens of your suffering, but 
also your perfect plan for salvation. We accept these in faith, Lord, trusting that your plan is going to come to fruition. There is no one like you, Lord. Please, Lord, help us to grow in our faith and our love and our devotion to you. We just ask, Lord, that you would continue to embrace us, continue to keep us under the shelter of your wings. Help us not to stray far from you. And Lord, please be there when we do stray, like the good shepherd that you are. Your word tells us that you would seek after one, even though you have 99, all accounted for. If there's one that goes astray, you will seek after that one. And we trust, Lord, even now, you're speaking to us. You are calling upon us, Lord. You're giving us direction and wisdom. Just help us, Lord, to submit, to learn how to be more obedient, not to think of ourselves as giving sacrifices, Lord. You are the perfect sacrifice. We need not do anything else other than to love you and to believe on you. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us all safe travel mercies as we go home. Please, Lord, set your angels around each family's home here. Would you settle our hearts? Grant us a peaceful night tonight. Help us to look on tomorrow, Lord, as a fresh new start. And that is if you should tarry. <laughs> we do look forward, Lord, to your coming. If it be tonight, Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> But if not, Lord, we know that your guiding hand will be with us tomorrow. We love you, Lord, and we thank you again for this night, this fellowship, and for your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.